All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Justin Cuthbert and Nailish Forfar. I felt a little like Chris Bassett this morning, a little out of sorts. Oh, God. Back from vacation. Not a, it's not it's a little like riding a bike, but not completely. Certainly wasn't that way for Chris Bassett. Although I don't have to deal with pitch com and forty five different pitches that I might be willing to throw at any point, and a clock expiring, and all these negative things. The clock does expire on the show, though. You have to look up sometimes. Make sure we go to break. Same thing. It's that's like pitch that's clock. true. I guess it's it feels like a little less pressure. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> Just move the, the commercial spon- break. The sponsors a little bit. are a little. More willing to wait than the umpires, uh, but it's still a learning curve for everyone. I guess it's the learning curve for Chris Bassett. Uh, we'll figure out just how much concern we should have, because I'm frankly a little concerned, and it might just be, you know, the preconceived notion. It might be what we saw last year with Yusei Kikuchi, but it wasn't necessarily a brilliant debut. One of the worst, actually, uh, for Chris Bassett. And to talk about that and more, we have our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That insider is Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host at At The Letters. What's going on, BNS? Not much. Just uh, getting ready to watch some Jason Royals this week. Yeah, it's going to be exciting uh, to see, uh, you know, maybe a team that they have a better chance of beating. Uh, no, we'll see. You know, all these first starts are very intriguing. And the latest first start, of course, as we mentioned, was Chris Bassett. Uh, and it wasn't uh, a thriller by any means. Uh, what is your impression? How do you unpack Bassett's real tough start? It was really rough. I mean, there's no way around it. It was a bad start. It was a bad outcome. And you look at that first inning alone with the three home runs, uh, it just was a bad outing. And, uh, you know, some of that um, can be attributed to the fact that he's facing a very, very good offensive team in the St. Louis Cardinals. Some of that maybe can be attributed to the challenges of getting to know pitch calm but these are the rules you know you if you're in major league baseball you're expected to face and and ultimately um hold in check the best offenses around including teams like the cardinals and everyone knows the rules so with pitch calm chris bassett has had uh, ample time to get to know it it's challenging no doubt but i don't think that that's something that he would necessarily use as an excuse in this situation and um so it's it's a bad start now as we move ahead here, I still think that Chris Bassett has the weapons, has the experience to be a very good major league starting pitcher. So long-term, I don't see reason for concern at this point, but it was a pretty rough way to debut. So four types of pitches hit out of the park, uh, according to StatCast. What he was throwing was not working, whatever it was. But again, you know, the, the stat or the pitch comp thing might have something to do with it. The way the situation, the way things uh, were playing out. I mean, the second pitch or the third pitch, I guess it was overall the second home run that went out of the park. I thought it was a routine fly ball and it just went out like it just seemed like everything was running against him. But when you do look at his next start, when we do start to spin it forward, like what what needs to happen here for Bassett to get on track and to erase what happened in St. Louis? Yeah, I think that we've seen it throughout his last few years where he's someone who can mix and match, keep hitters off balance, attack different parts of the zone, really be creative and and prevent himself from ever getting too predictable. And that's something that even if he's throwing 92 miles an hour, that's something that can keep elite hitters off balance. And we've seen it with Oakland and with, with New York Mets last year. So it's a recipe that works. I mean, that's why the Blue Jays invested $60 $60 million in him, and I, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that Chris Bassett's a, a very good major league starting pitcher, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always disappointing when, you know, you start off with that sort of 
um, difficult debut. Um, Chris Bassett has a lot of experience, and and you know it's it's something that I would fully expect he'll rebound from, but doesn't get any easier with the Angels coming up as his next start. That's right, and we got Jose Barrios tonight and Kikuchi tomorrow, so you know, have hopefully an opportunity to level out our concerns. Um, Jose Barrios obviously got a lot of eyes on him tonight, especially with the bullpen being taxed and the way that the weekend went with pitching. So we'll see how we feel tomorrow morning. Um, looking at aspects of the weekend that maybe could cause some question, not concern. I'm not in the concern boat yet. Justin's a little bit more fired up this morning. I'm very level-headed. I got the BNS approach. Um, home or less this weekend. We haven't seen the home run jacket or whatever the new iteration of that is. Um, not really doing well with runners in scoring position. I think both Saturday and uh, and Sunday we saw that being an issue. Um, is the offense right now after Thursday's debut kind of dried up a bit for you. Anything to to look at there as a concern? Yeah, it's kind of puzzling, right? When you watch even a bad team in Major League Baseball is going to hit a home run usually in the course of a three-game series. Mm-hmm. And so the Blue Jays have a very good offensive team, and they come out of Bush Stadium with zero home runs. So it's it's honestly just kind of weird. I, I think this team will hit a lot of home runs in the course of this season, probably as soon as tonight, but it didn't happen yet. So Again, that's one of those weird things that can happen in the course of three games. Um, And I don't think there's a ton to take away from the lack of home runs, but the lack of offense, I mean, definitely against Flaherty where they, you know, were drawing these walks. They had a good plate approach. You like to see that where they're not expanding. They're not forcing the issue, but, you know, they weren't getting hits off of Flaherty either. And so that's a game where I think they ended up with three total hits on, on Saturday. So I, you know, at the same time, they had 19 hits in the opener, um, and there was some great plate approaches in the season opener from guys like George Springer, mm-hmm. Bo Bichette, um, Kiermaier, Varsho. So, uh, you know, to me, it's just three games, and um, the Jays would be a lot happier if they're two and one right now. But offensively, um, they're healthy, and I think there's a lot of reason to believe this team will put up a lot of runs. Yeah, 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position on Saturday. It was like Flaherty was, I guess, effectively wild because the Blue Jays just couldn't square anything up uh, when the strikes were actually uh, hitting the zone. I think if there was anything offensively that was most encouraging for me, I think it was the middle of the order with Varsho, Kirk, and Chapman. Now, it wasn't that way the whole weekend, but it seems like Dalton Varsho is going to be given the benefit of doubt and, and, and lots of run to hit fourth. What did you see from him over the weekend? And we talk about first impressions. I think that was maybe the strongest one for me. I was impressed with what I saw from Varsho. Yeah, Varsho looks like a great pickup, and he was brought in definitely the most expensive, the most costly acquisition the Blue Jays made you know i don't know if it was a splashy one necessarily because he hasn't become a huge name at this point but he just does a lot of things well and i think back to thursday in the opener when he's running into the left field corner to cut a ball off and keep runners from advancing further um you see the speed he clearly moves around really well um and yeah offensively he's someone who can do a lot of damage in that cleanup spot against a right-handed starting pitcher I, i think if you have a lefty you probably want to mix that up and maybe have Kirk um, hitting fourth. But against a righty, I think the Jays should be very comfortable with Dalton Varsho hitting cleanup. And he's looking like a dynamic player. I think that that's uh, a good sign for them, just given how much they gave up and how important Varsho is to this team's core. Have you seen flashes of this new defensive-minded team's outfield and the way that the Blue Jays... I mean, there's been some errors. I'm talking about Bo and Chapman for sure, but just in terms of like an overall sample size, three games, 
and spring training, a, a different approach this team um, has focused on, especially their acquisitions and in in having a good, strong defensive game? I, I think the outfield is just going to be a stronger defensive unit this year. And to see Kiermaier moving around as well as he is, is a great sign for the mm-hmm. Jays. Um, I, I think also Springer and right field, it's kind of nice because he's played the position before, so he has that familiarity. Um, and then at the same time, you get to lessen the wear and tear, and lessen the, the workload on Springer, but you get a very good defensive right fielder. And then Varsha is great in left and, and can obviously play center if, if they wanted him to. So it adds up to three really good outfielders. I, I think that it's a, it's a clear difference compared to what we saw in 2022 from this group, and it should really help them keep runs off the board, and that could help as soon as tonight with a guy like Jose Barrios on the mound, big park, Kauffman Stadium, that's kind of the perfect situation to take advantage of the fact that these guys can cover a lot of ground and, and really do it um, in a way to support a pitching staff that, you know, with guys like Barrios can, can really benefit from that. How'd you make um, of John Schneider's management of the games over the last three um, opportunities, whether that's the way that he utilized the bullpen or the way that he set the lineups. It's kind of our first opportunity to see a full season of John Schneider post um, spring training and what he's going to put forward for this team. Uh, You know, I think it tracks with what we've seen from him in the end of the regular season last year and in spring training. Um, He's, he's definitely a manager who's um, going to try to, get every advantage he can so tactically um he's going to con- try to connect with his players and stay um, up to date with exactly what's going on there um I-, I don't think that he's going to keep himself limited to one individual lineup configuration or one bullpen configuration um the guys who are producing will be the ones who hit highest in the order who pitch in the highest leverage spots and so we're still getting a sense of who that is for example in the bullpen um you know obviously just a couple of games and you know, we'll see where that where that takes us. But I think that, you know, for instance, if it's someone like an Eric Swanson who maybe struggles a little bit, then he would end up pitching in, in maybe more of the middle innings. And if someone else like Zach Pop, for example, is able to come out and really impress, then there's a pathway for him to pitch in bigger spots. And I, I think that that's not only Schneider, that's a lot of managers in the game who, who certainly adapt like that. But I think you really have to be adaptive and you have to have see what's in front of you and it and adjusts pretty quickly and Schneider does that. So first first look at Schneider, uh, at least in an opening weekend, but also, and probably well, well, much more importantly, the first time we've seen the Blue Jays with these new rules, did anything stand out to you in terms of, okay, this is how the Blue Jays are playing due to these new rules, how the rules maybe affected a certain player or a certain thing that the Blue Jays did? Like, I know you've watched a lot of spring training, but this is the full, first full weekend, live action, the big club, everyone who should be out there, out there. What were your impressions of the rules and how the Blue Jays adapted to them over the weekend? I think mostly pretty pretty seamless, um, which is a good thing. And um, that's obviously why they started implementing them in spring training. The, the one question really is Bassett. And, you know, again, that's, I don't think it's really something that we can use as an excuse for him because every pitcher faces that challenge, every catcher faces that challenge. But it is something that the more he can get comfortable with it and the more he can get used to it, the better. Because in years past, and this is part of the reason MLB made the changes, but in years past, Bassett might have stood on the mound shaking and shaking and trying to get on the same page as his catcher. And really there was no rush. And if he has seven or eight pitches and you have to run through the signs a couple times, so be it from his standpoint. Now, from the standpoint of the game, 
that's not good entertainment. But for Chris Bassett, it's a really big adjustment to go into a world now where he has 15 seconds with nobody on base to make a call and to start his delivery toward the plate and Danny Jansen. So it's something that, you know, might realistically take more than four or five spring outings to get to the point that he's really comfortable with it. And unfortunately for the Blue Jays, these growing pains might be happening now, but you'd like to think that he could get some better results in the meantime. Yeah, hopefully it does not take four to five regular season games. I guess if he does get there, uh, we will accept that. But uh, Chris Bassett, it seems, has plenty to work out uh, with Danny Jansen as they look to adapt to the new rules that uh, some are clearly onto a little quicker than others. I understand we got to let you go, Ben. uh, We appreciate you jumping on with us, uh, breaking down the weekend, and we will chat soon. Look forward to it. Have a good one. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host at At The Letters, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. This week, we'll be giving away tickets to next Tuesday's Blue Jays home opener against the Detroit Tigers. Our first giveaway is going to take place tomorrow, but a early heads up that she'll be listening and trying to win some free tickets to the home opener, which I officially got tickets for this oh, past week. Good. Fired up? Hi. Where are you sitting? Cannot be. Well. Are you in the mix and mingling area? No, no. Like seat seats. They don't have the mix and mingling. I think they were already sold out okay. for the home opener. I was late to the party here mm-hmm. to get the tickets. Uh, sold out. Had to go resale market and it's Ooh. not cheap. I'll tell you that. No way. Eh? Worth it though. I'll Is be there. It? Yeah, I'm up in the 500s. I'll tell you that. 500s. Is you got to win a wake and rake for these tickets. I, I'll tell you that. I think, uh, well, I wonder though, because there's all these new areas and, but there's uh, like how, how accessible are the ones where you got to pay for that? Like, I don't know how this all works yet. I know there's a lot of places where you can congregate, but are there specific ones where it's like, oh, these are only tickets for. No, there's no like, you must have a wristband to enter said a, spot. A, like, it's kind no, of it's sounds a free like for that. all. It's, so it's a free for all. You can, I guess you can get up at other 500s, move around. Yeah, yeah. I'll ch- I'm going to do a full on review of the stadium for you. I cannot wait for I'm that. I'm going to get there and I'm going to check you might out watch every a little baseball. area <laughs> and I will watch the whole game. But yeah, you got to get there early for the home opener. There'll be obviously like some cool ceremonies, get to check out the stadium for the first time. But that's next Tuesday. We'll be giving away some tickets so this week stay tuned and you'll find out how tonight we've got jose barrios on the mound um looks like you say kikuchi tomorrow which would be manoa and gosman etc etc moving forward but there's a i feel like there's a heightened level of eyeballs on jose barrios tonight just because hey jose barrios in general but the way that this weekend went with your pitching rotation bullpen being used a bit more barrios looking for a statement start to his regular season with kikuchi following up tomorrow could really help change the temperature, I'll tell you that. Brios could definitely cool my jets a little bit if he goes out there and has a dominant start, but like a Jose Barrios of previous era mm-hmm. kind of start, that would definitely be uh, very, very encouraging. Again, you can't get too uh, wound up about Bassett. You can't get too wound up if Brios has a brilliant start in Kansas City uh, tonight. But, you know, we're going to be reacting more so to these first starts. It's first impressions. It's how you put forth your start to the season mm-hmm. and what happened last year with Barrios shelled in his first start dominated really ugly and it didn't seem like he ever recovered now that's not the reason it's not a psychological thing that lasted the entire season it's more so mechanical and him dealing with struggles of last season that were physical and and beyond mental I'll say but the same thing happened with Kikuchi like it did not start strong and it lingered and it lingered and it lingered and it lingered hopefully it doesn't linger for Bassett and hopefully 
it lingers in a positive way for Barrios and Kikuchi because, again, we talked about this ad nauseum. The success of this team, at least in terms of, you know, winning a division or being a great regular season team, it kind of hinges on your fourth and fifth starters being good, being what they have been. And if Kikuchi and Barrios can be positives rather than negatives, this team's going to be in a good spot, but that remains to be seen. Blue Jays back in action against the Kansas City Royals starting their four-game series. Royals are 0-3 to start the season, so let's pounce. Uh, they're facing off against Brady Singer on the mound. That'll be on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Of course, streaming on Sportsnet.ca slash 590 and the Sportsnet app. 740 is first pitch tonight. Blue Jays favorites, minus 140 on the money line tonight. And the over-under set at eight and a half. So maybe you take your wake and rake pick from that. We're still taking submissions. We will talk to um, our buddy William Liu on the other side of the break. So we'll fit in a baby wake and rake after that. We got the final game of the NCAA March Madness tonight. Lots to tee up. Do you have Whit Merrifield circled? For tonight? As, as uh, you know, I don't know if there's a, I don't know what prop he might go with, but he's making his return to Kansas City, of course, a guy I'm who spent seven years big there, Merrifield I believe. Guy. We're, I think this is a big Whit Merrifield show, but uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't know, necessarily know how to play it. But if we're talking about revenge games, if we're mm-hmm. talking about uh, success in your returns, Whit Merrifield be, would be the guy over this four game set. Uh, and it seems like it's kind of his job to lose right now. Like, it seems like he's in the driver's seat, at least in terms of um, who's going to get the most run out of the bench if you want to consider him part of that bench unit. Uh, it seems like he's got the um, he, he's got the respect of John Schneider to start the season, and we'll see how long that lasts. They will play for who's gets, who gets the most playing time, but Whit Merrifield definitely in the driver's seat in terms of playing time to start the season. I'll tell you what, uh, not a lot of Blue Jays have faced Singer, but the only one that has home, had a home run off of him is Varsho. So if we're going to start the Blue Jays get their first home run tonight at three at-bats, go on a home run against them, I think there's something there. There you go. Big Varsho def- night. Definitely the strongest impression of the weekend was Dalton Varsho. Yep. Like a different outfielder, right? Like you can, maybe this lineup is not even remotely as potent without Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Goriel. Maybe it is different. Maybe they're not as good offensively. But what Dalton Varsho brings to the table, I don't know if you're going to be missing those guys because uh, Ben nailed it. I mean, like, he was doing all the right things. He was making all the right defensive reads. He was, he didn't look out of place as the cleanup hitter. And I felt like the strength of the team offensively was the middle of the order led by Varsho. And really the, the strength of the team from a defensive standpoint was in the outfield, again, led by Dalton Varsho. I was very, very impressed with his start for the Blue Jays. All right, 740, first pitch tonight, Blue Jays at the Royals, UConn and San Diego State, 920 p.m. That'll determine the national championship tonight. We'll do an update on our Fanex Cup. <clears throat> Not great. Um, tomorrow, we will also announce our March Badness pool winner, which we... Speaking of Blue Jays tickets. Yeah, we are giving away free tickets for that as well. Um, so we had you all join in on our March Badness bracket-ish challenge. We'll have the winner, obviously, tomorrow. Uh, I don't think many people had predicted this being the end result, but nonetheless, someone's a winner, and we'll give you that tomorrow after the national championship is awarded. you got a couple more minutes to send in your wake and rake picks at 590-590. We're going to talk to Will Liu on the other side of the break about Nick Nurse's weekend and what this means for the future of the Toronto Raptors. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The final block here, we're going to split it up. We've got Will Lou. We've got our Wake and Rake on the other side of the break. So a couple minutes to send in those final picks before we get to our parlay and tee up the national championship and the Blue Jays in action against the Royals. But Will Lou, host of the Raptors show, joins us this morning after a pretty quiet weekend, nothing making headlines, you know, just crickets out there, eh, Will? A chill weekend, you know, bumping the new um, Boy Genius <laughs> yeah, record. And just feeling depressed. <laughs> yeah, just Raptors Hornets at 1 p.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. Like, you know, not, not, nothing. Why are you guys calling me? I know. We just wanted to catch up and actually wanted to ask about your event. And uh, actually, let's just, just let's start with the good stuff. How was your event with okay. Bobby Webster last week? Anything come from that conversation that we need to help boost on the show this morning? Uh, no, I mean, first off, I appreciate it for sure. I mean, I, I think the big takeaway from the event was just like, um, you know, it was a very personal event. Like Bobby was very open with everything. And, you know, we asked him about the details about the quiet trade and sort mm-hmm. of the process of sort of how the front office operates. Um, you know, we asked him about sort of this idea of the vision six, nine thing and sort of how that came about. And his answer there was actually kind of interesting. It makes a lot of sense because, um, the first iteration of the Raptors, uh, before obviously the quiet trade, like. The one big weakness on the team they felt was just like they don't have a six nine like forward, and they kept going into the playoffs and they were like, oh, we just kept getting beaten by these like obviously very multi talented wings, whether it was Paul Pierce or you know LeBron or you know whoever, right? So um, they were like, when we rebuild this team, like we really want to focus on getting the hardest part done, which is sort of finding that wing, and so that's why they prioritized it. It wasn't like we just only want. These wings, we actually want a specific um, sort of team build where we're able to find the hardest part first. And even compared to like, he's like, look, at the trade deadline, for example, OG's worth was worth three first round picks. So you kind of confirm that. Um, meanwhile, like I got like Yakaparo was only getting you back one. Right. And so he was sort of talking about sort of like the relative difference in uh, in, in values of the wings. And so, but, I mean, look, that, that's like the probably the most dry part of it. I mean, the general part is just. Um, he's been in Toronto a long time, but, you know, we were able to sort of like show him a good time, you know, meet some people, meet a lot of restaurateurs in the industry. And, uh, I think he was scheduled to be there for like 30 minutes, but he ended up staying for like two, three hours and oh, wow. just awesome. had a really, yeah, he just enjoyed himself. Took a lot of photos with fans, you know, might've seen him take a shot with the fan, you know, I can't confirm or deny oh, this. But... Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. He was getting down, man. I love Bobby that. Bobby had his hair down. There like you it. go, Bobby. Uh, well, congrats on that. That's uh, a really big opportunity for you guys. You deserve it. Thank you. Keep thank crushing you. it. Um, hopefully you get a little bit of a runway here if the Raptors can win some games. But it's too bad that this didn't happen uh, this week because you could ask Bobby Webster about oh, Nick Nurse. I know. <laughs> I know. Trust me. The, the, the mood of this could have been very different. It just so happened that it was on Wednesday. So it was mm-hmm. like right after the, the game where they beat the, the Heat. And so we're feeling pretty good about the whole thing. And at that time, the Nick rumors weren't really that like strong. Mm-hmm. And so I, I doubt he would have told right. um, us the entire details, but maybe I could have asked him off Hey, get him a couple so. shots and maybe, eh? <laughs> I mean, trust me, that was that was the strategy. Before we go on stage, I was like, you know, we have beers backstage. Do you want one? Loosen like, up no. a bit, Bobby. Give us the scoop. Uh, that's I fun. tried. He- All right. So let's talk about Nick Nurse's weekend. Um Coming out and just saying that he's going to take a few weeks following the season to contemplate his next move. He was the one that candidly, you know, began this narrative. Um, surprisingly, I think for many, first of all, when you when you're there, I don't know if you were there when it happened or if you're covering it in the moment, but just the the way that this all kind of caught legs and, and took over the weekend. 
Yeah, so unfortunately I was not there. Um, they were obviously in Philly on Friday and then they're in Charlotte right now. They played mm-hmm. there on Sunday. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot but, that you uh, don't go to those. <laughs> You're yeah, here. It's, it's, it's all good, man. It's all good. Uh, Toronto was beautiful this weekend. Yeah, um, that's true. But, you know, I was able to, like, watch the press conferences. Um, and I think what was interesting was um, on Friday pregame, it, the question was brought up not in regards to sort of the rumors out there. There wasn't like a reporter put Nick on the spot and said, mm-hmm. there's rumors about you leaving to, you know, after the season is over. Can you comment on that? Right. That if you if you I think if you were asked directly about it, it's harder to sort of skirt the question, obviously. Um, but the, the question uh, the way the press conference started was it was, um, hey, you know, you've had an up and down season. You know, there was obviously a lot of um, confusion about sort of where the direction of the team was going at the trade deadline. Um, where's your head at? Right, and so that's not the same as being put on the spot for that uh, for 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 his own specific thing. Um, Nick did answer the part about being the trade deadline and sort of the flux of the season and sort of the shape of it and, and the injuries that sort of happened early on and how they weathered it, blah blah blah. Um, but then he also added his own stuff at the end of it, and that's where he, where he talked about sort of you know ten years is a long time to be somewhere and like you know got to reevaluate things and and think about like you know his situation in the front office. Even his answer, I, I think if you read it in print, it, it actually sounds mostly okay. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, he's being honest um, about the situation. You might say, well, like, probably was this the time to do it pregame before the Phillies or play, play, before playing Philly? Like, mm, maybe not. But at the same time, you know, like, sometimes Nick just kind of goes on and on a little bit, right? Um, but then again, I, I think you got to really see the tone of it. And again, like, within the context of him not being put on the spot for the rumors, um, for him to bring it up, I mean, I think it's more than fair that, like, you know, this sort of became, like, the predominant storyline over the weekend. And then it was interesting because post game after Philly, nobody asked him about it, at least on the record. You can even go on the Raptors' YouTube page and watch it. He didn't talk about it, nor did anyone ask him about it. Saturday, they were off. Sunday, the first opportunity to have a media session with Nick again, pregame, someone asked Nick about it again. In front of the program, Lindsey Dunn was there. And, and asked Nick to follow up on his comments. And Nick just kind of shut, like, cut her off her question and just shut it down entirely and just said, like, essentially, like, look, I'm not going to talk about this because I've been asked about this three games in a row. And I mean, look, listen, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, uh, it's it sort of just beyond the idea of um, him being annoyed at this. I'm sure, like, it probably wasn't the greatest look, especially considering he got, um, I don't know, pretty much every columnist in the city to write something about it. Um, but that's also just straight up not true. Like again, like these these press conferences are very public. Um, you can go through them. Nobody asked him about it at all. In fact, even on Friday when he brought it up, the question wasn't about his future. So I don't know where he got the three games in a row thing from. But I mean, look, I, I guess I guess it's out there now, right? And I think that he could have either shut it down or deflected or gone more neutral or no commented. But you know, he sort of opened the floodgate. Um, after they were already kind of starting to peak open. And now, you know, it's hard to sort of put the horse back in the barn. I don't know how to make analogies at 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, so you said, you know, you mentioned honesty. And, and like in this industry, we we appreciate the honesty, right? Like it gives us something to talk about, but also like, you know, when you're being lied to a lot and that can be frustrating. But I guess in this case, in this case like we've been talking all season, like, it's not playing for what anymore. It's like we're trying to accomplish something this season. And when this comment comes out, it's like Nick Nurse is already trying to get, he's got one foot out the door where he's trying to get out, whether it's because he's being pushed out or he wants to go voluntarily. Like, mm-hmm. how do you think, 
does it affect the rest of the season? Like, does it matter that it's out in the open now that it seems like this relationship is coming to an end? Like, you know, we're kind of trying to get excited at least about these final few games and the play-in and seeing if they can make something, see if they can overshoot expectations a little bit. But it just seems like with these comments and with the way the coach is, how could that, how could anyone with a straight face be taking it as seriously or the organization taking it seriously if the coach doesn't seem to be taking his last few uh, runs with the team if it is in fact that seriously well i mean I, I think you know you know if we had nick here he would probably say something like well the other part of my answer was i'm very focused on this game and this team these playoff experience and all that other stuff but i agree with you i, I think so much of um these press conferences like obviously it's directed based on the questions people ask but it's also um the answers that either the coach or the executives or the players give like that sort of sets like the conversation a lot of the time right and I think that, like, the only conversation we really should be having right now is about, like, the Raptors, can they make it up in the, in the play-in race, right? Like, so currently they're locked into the play-in. They can't fall out of it, and they can't advance out of it either. So it's really just about seeding in this situation. And the Raptors have been stuck in ninth for a long time trying to catch up to Atlanta, who own the tiebreaker. Unfortunately, Atlanta was able to beat uh, the Mavericks last night in overtime. Like, that's what the focus of, of, the, of the conversation should be. That should be the focus of the players. Like, look, we get it. It's been a messy season, but you still are alive here. Let's focus on that part. But I think that when the conversation it was purposefully shifted to in this direction um, by the coach, it's just it's just weird. Again, like, I'm just thinking about, like, the, dynamic, the dynamics of the whole situation, right? You come out, you say this. You know, that becomes the big story. And then you go back to the locker room and you're like, all right, boys, let's focus on beating the Sixers tonight. Like, it's, I don't <laughs> so know. I mean, strange. I'm not, it is strange, right? It is weird. So, um, but look, listen, Nick is clearly a very good coach. He's a very smart coach. Um, he knows what he's doing, generally speaking. Um, and I think that, I mean, look, listen, he, he clearly has a future in this league. And, you know, if he has a situation lined up with Houston, then go ahead. Um, it's going to be interesting to me from this point onwards. Like, okay, so how do the Raptors approach it? Because he still has one more year left on his deal. And because, you know, the way you, you hear it spoken about, it almost sounds like he's a free agent, but he's not. He has a one, he has another year on his deal at a very competitive salary across the league. So if Houston wants him, like, can we get compensation for him? I think that's what the conversation should be from the front office. In addition to like, hey, let's, let's not make any more public comments about this. Because again, like when you go around the league, like how many coaches are just openly talking about well you know we'll see like really really like you did you have to say that out loud but yeah it is what it is i guess yeah justin and i talked about the contract situation earlier in the show as well because yeah he is he's still got another year locked in here but it seems like a lose-lose situation to put him through another year as a lame duck coach right without a contract mm-hmm. in the future um, it almost feels like they're either going to extend him or get rid of him this postseason just to, to end that narrative um, do you think it is the right time for the Raptors to part ways with Dick Nurse 10 years here you know obviously like he he was underneath the previous coach for a while he learned and now he you got coach of the year he won a, a NBA championship of course but has it has it maybe hit its end point um, in terms of the relationship maybe with the players the organization and just his time in Toronto yeah, I mean, I think that is the big question right now, right? And I think that, um, to be fair, the only people who would really know are the front office and perhaps even the players, um, because you'd have to be in the locker room, you'd have to be in all these like scenarios where you know you got to see if his message is coming across or if the tactics are right or you know how he's dealing with people behind the scenes. Um, and again, that's stuff that you're not really privy to. Like you hear stuff, but you really don't know the whole picture. So I want to be fair to him on that perspective. But I also think that at the same time, like, 
when we look back on the season, I think the front office was definitely higher on the roster than what the results are. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think the expectation coming into the season was like, oh, you know, we'll see, maybe, blah. Like, no, I, I think they expected to be taking another step forward, um, not only because um, they had brought in some marginal improvements. I would say, like, Otto Porter Jr. was a good idea, but clearly he just wasn't healthy at all all season. And then bringing Jacoperto was sort of an affirmation that they still believe in the, the at least that there is talent to be unlocked in this group. And to be fair, like, once they brought in Jacoperto, their record has been much better. And their play has been much more steady as well. Um, but there were no expectations of the team being like in this current situation. And so that's where it's like it's easier to change out the coach than it is to change out the entire roster. Um, now, of course, they have a big decision to make on the roster because they have three key free agents. Like three starters are going to go in the free agency um, in Gary, Fred, and uh, Yak. But at the same time, like I think that, um, you know, the front office definitely feels like there is a talent group here and it's sort of just who can bring the best out of them. And honestly, coaches got changed out quickly these days. Like, you know, I was watching the Premier League this weekend and like another manager got let go and it's like, or two actually got let go on the weekend. There's like 13 managers that have changed in the Premier League this season. And it's like, it's not as dramatic in the NBA, but like I can see after a year like this where so many teams are essentially in the same position as the Raptors, which has just been 500 all year. Um, I could see that like dramatic changes will probably happen in coaching rather than just in the player movement because again it's always easier to change out the coach. So um, if that's what this ultimately happens, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. But then at, at the same time, I would say that the, the first time I heard of Nick potentially not being here long term, that was only like two weeks ago. So it does feel like a really fast moving thing. Um, so yeah, uh, Nick Nurse said it. Ten years is a long time, even if we haven't been. I mean, we kind of like discussing it a little bit what the future might hold uh whether he's part of the issues that were kind of at least unspoken until (laughs) recently on friday night uh it just seems like this was something that was always worth considering after and you're right now it's at an expedited pace uh have your has your mind went anywhere yet towards canada basketball and where that might leave that situation with nick nurse like Again, mm-hmm. these things are not like they don't have to work hand in hand, but it did seem like there was the synergy was important with Nick, ha- Nick living in oh, Canada, yeah. having access to facilities, having access to these players. Like it felt like that was something that made sense when he was coach of the Raptors, but maybe makes less sense now. I think it depends on how amicable if they split, like how amicable the whole thing situation is. Right. Like there's a real situ- scenario where it's sort of just like, thank you for your service. You know, we're gonna let you go or we're going to get this trade done with Houston and you can move on and everything's OK. Um, and maybe there's a slight chance that he continues to coach the national team. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like <clears throat> like the the way Canada basketball operates, like they 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 really operate a lot in conjunction with the Raptors like there's a lot of like you're going to use the Scotiabank Arena which is obviously you know owned by MLSC or it's like you're going to use the OVO Park facility which is obviously owned by the Raptors and you know there's there is that natural down synergy and of course a lot of the coaching staff not only is just Nick but guys on his staff um so you know we'll we'll see I mean I, I think the con- there was definitely like the big contingency or a big meeting in Vegas a couple of years ago where they got all the Canadian players together and Nick really pitched it strong on the program that like look we're going to make a three year commitment here through like two cycles in terms of the Olympics and also the the World Cup coming up and it's like you know that was all contingent uh, sort of on the players sort of making a three year commitment if the coach doesn't actually last through that commitment you do wonder sort of how the situation is going to go but i think canada basketball is still in a strong place i think the biggest part is just that the players are they, they seem to be very motivated to play and it's not necessarily just because they want to play for nick it's just i think they want to play for the country 
And there's a ton of Canadian talent right now. But of course, it would probably cause some upheaval because it would be kind of awkward, right? You let go of a coach depending on sort of how it goes. And then next year, he's working training camp for the Canada team in, in your building. It, it'd be a little odd. But um, that's that's more TBD, I would say. That That's more TBD. But again, he's right. He's here right now. He's got another year in his contract. And uh, maybe he reflects over the summertime and, uh, you know, he, he's cool to stay. I don't know. But uh Right now, it obviously seems like it might lean the other way. Yeah, maybe a little ironic reflecting on Nick Nurse banging the drum on commitment, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. The last one for you quickly, uh, Ime Adoka yeah. has been connected, at least through this reporting, to potentially the Raptors, also maybe the Houston Rockets. Uh, clearly, there's some... There are com- complications there. There are some. There's some intrigue too, because you know he's proven to be a very good coach uh, uh, with the Boston Celtics before his time there came to an end. Uh, first impressions or first thought when you heard the Raptors may be connected to Ime Udoka. Yeah, I suppose it's not that much of a surprise. Like I think it's been pointed out many places that like Ime was um, interviewed. I-, I think once, at least once, if not twice. Um, when the Raptors last had a head coaching vacancy. And, of course, they ultimately went with Nick in that scenario in 2018. But Ime was interviewed. That's back when he was a s- assistant with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and, you know, I think Masai and Ime do have a connection there. Um, you know, I, I believe they had worked together uh, under previous programs, I believe, on the Nigerian national team. Um, so... I guess it's not a surprise that that name would be brought up. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the big elephant in the room with Ime is sort of what happened in Boston, right? And and I think that even though we've seen lots of leaks and reports, and it's been one of those stories um, that even TMZ kind of picked it up. And so there are some details out there, but I, I would love to see like an actual um, explanation or if they do decide to bring him in or interview him, like there has to be an explanation sort of given to the fans of sort of like, what was the situation going on behind the scenes? It has to be sort of on camera. It has to be uh, in an open, you know, you know, interview setting. And we need to sort of get to at least some sort of answer as to, like, what happened in Boston and sort of why that won't happen again in Toronto. Because, again, like, if it was just based on his merits as a coach, he would still be coaching the Celtics. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't think you're asking for too much, especially if that's the direction the Raptors take this offseason. I think uh, a lot of fans will be very curious to have a, a clean slate if that's the direction. Um, lots to break down on the Raptor show today. Can't wait to tune in everyone 2 to 4, uh, 2 to 3 p.m. Um, Will and Alex will have all of this and more, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. We got Michael Grange on today. More oh, that'll be on. good. All right, we'll be listening. Thanks for joining us this morning, Will. All right, thank you. It's Will Lou, host of the Raptor show, of course, uh, 2 o'clock today on Sports and 590 Fan and where we get your podcast. We'll have lots to break down with Nurse, with the play-in now being confirmed. Can, they're trying to get to eighth. How possible is that? And then where it leaves Canada basketball, Yimei Odoka. There's lots to cover. So tune in today at 2 o'clock. Talk to Will. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting storyline. It, it's To me, it's not all that surprising that it, that might be the end of the road for Nick Nurse, obviously, how we got to this point, how we started talking about it. Uh, not necessarily fans of how it went down, mm-hmm. but it feels like something has to change, and that makes the most sense. Uh, so we'll see how we get there. We'll see if it's Ime Odoka. We'll see if it's someone else. Uh, Raptors offseason will be very, very interesting. Hopefully there's a couple games before we get into the Raptors. And hopefully Nick Nurse can focus on those games. I don't think that's too much to ask either, but we'll see. Okay, tonight, the National Championship, UConn, San Diego State, 920 tip-off. That's a late one, but uh, it all comes down to this. For all the marbles, uh, UConn favorites tonight pretty heavily. You have them in your wake and rake. 
Yeah, in the uh, in the spirit of getting the bet settled before it's too late, I'm going to go with the first half line. I've mm. actually had some success with UConn on the first half line so far in this tournament. Uh, if there's any criticism of them or their coaching staff, it's maybe some late-game decision-making, a little questionable, but they start off strong and they get off on the front foot. So I'm going to take UConn on the first half line, minus four to take a lead into halftime over San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State fell behind against FAU. I expect them to mm-hmm. do it again. We'll see if they can make another comeback. But at least for the first half, I like UConn to uh, set the tone early, get ahead, and we'll see if they can hold on. UConn minus four, minus 115 at the half is my wake and rake selection. Okay, I locked that one in. Um, just for context, the full-on money line, if you're going to go full game, is minus 375 for UConn. So not a lot of value there. I like that you're trying to find something that works in our parameters, and I want to be betting something on tonight's game. I have no, nothing and no stakes just to watch and enjoy. Okay, so we also have the Blue Jays at the Royals. Uh, first pitch is at 7.40 p.m., so we have um, a couple picks from that in the text line. Let's go through those because I think that's going to be our anchor. Um, Steve from Sutton says he's feeling the over eight in the Jays game or stars on the money line. Uh, we also had that from Eric and Burlington, Jays and Royals to go over tonight. And Juliana says she would take also over eight and a half in the Jays-Royals game we also have Vlad over total runs. Um, that's Courier Chris, currently in St. Catharines. So those are your Blue Jays adjacent anchor picks. Feels like a lot of people want the over. Yeah, I'm okay with picking the over. I was thinking maybe first five over four and a half for my wake and rake. That was maybe my secondary mm-hmm. selection. Uh, maybe that's a bit of a happiness hedge against Jose Barrios. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of expect the Blue Jays offense to get a little bit more on track, not to say that so. they've been kind of starving. I mean, they did score four runs, but it kind of came oddly manufactured from the bottom of the order. Like, I'd like to see the big guns uh, get going here, and, and I think they will in Kansas City. So any formation or variation of the over does make some sense to me. Uh, do you want to lock that in? Do you want to run through I, the other ones? Yes, um, let's run through the other ones, but... I think that's where I'm leaning. Um, Ron has San Diego State plus the points going with the underdog on that one. He also says he hopes you had an amazing vacation. Oh, thank you. Uh, we also have an under 132 and a half in the national championship game from Cody and St. Catharines. San Diego has gone over or under rather in 12 of 13. That's a that's a good stat. Uh, Yankees suck, but numbers don't lie. Take Aaron Judge for one and a half or two total bases in 11 at-bats versus Walker. He's hitting 345 with four home runs and five RBIs. Aaron Aaron Judge did have a hot start, didn't he? Didn't he homer in his first? He sure did. It was a good weekend for the New York Yankees. Trying not to pay too much attention to the Yankees (laughs) just to keep my uh, mentals in order. And uh, the last one I'm seeing here, good morning, Corey from Port Hope. Hope everyone had a great weekend for my wake and rake. He's got the Braves over the Cardinals. I wasn't here last week. I put in a World Series uh, selection on the Braves. I'm going to be a Braves guy this year. Wow. Hoping to hear some of the golf experts in the text line feed up some Masters locks before Thursday. I'm also looking forward to mm-hmm. that. Keep those coming. We need some golf picks. Um, all right. I still think I like the over eight and a half in the Jays and Royals game tonight for our anchor submission. Yeah, I'm done with that. All right. So for me, there's no NBA tonight, there, obviously, um, but there is NHL. There's three games. And the big one for me is the Golden Knights at the Minnesota Wild. That's 8 p.m. Um, it's a big game for both teams. Massive. Both but, leading their divisions, both barely hanging on to leads in the division. But Marc-Andre Fleury is in net tonight. And you know I like a revenge angle. So I'm taking the Wild on the money line. Wow. Plus money? No, minus 130. Okay, okay, minus 130. Wild, minus 130 on the money line. They're at home. You just mentioned it. Both teams need something 
to prove. So Yeah, Colorado nipping at their heels. They are a bit of a surprise leader in the division, but if they keep winning, they they certainly uh have their own fate in their hands. So it's a it's a huge game. I'll be uh I'll be tied into that one a little bit. I cannot wait. Um, former Vegas Golden Knight now with the Minnesota Wild in net. So let's go, Marc-Andre Fleury. Don't, uh, don't crumble in the moment. So our parlay is over eight and a half runs in the Kansas City Royals-Blue Jays game. UConn at minus four on the first half spread. And the Wild just to win straight up in the money line against the Vegas Golden Knights. Altogether, our parlay is plus eight. 596 today. That's a good one. We do have one more question here in the text line. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting one to consider. Uh, this from Dave in Stratford. Good morning. First time Wake and Raker. Need March Madness advice. Currently sitting first in a pool of 120 people. If San Diego State wins, he finishes first and big money. If Damn. UConn wins, he finishes fourth and gets nothing. What is the best way to hedge my bet? Now you you could Ooh, what you could do is like bet everything or bet all your winnings on UConn. I wouldn't do that though because you're carving way, way into yeah. your profits. It's a tough spot to be in because you can't you can't grab some points and try to hedge it that way. What I would do is completely lay off or catch this live. Like just monitor it live the entire time. If San Diego San Diego State gets a lead at any time, you can bet back the other way or you can just let it ride because it's probably a small stake for a a big return. But if you can catch some plus points with UConn at any point if San Diego State has the lead then that's the way you can hedge your bet effectively but right now pre-flop it's going to be hard to do that well I hope San Diego State just wins for him one more Adama Sinogo is Mm. the has been the star of this tournament he is around minus 120 at least that when I last saw it to win MVP if you don't want to play and that actually might be a way to hedge it you just play the Sinogo to win MVP honors at minus 120 you're trying to get something as close to even odds as possible. That's probably the closest thing in a UConn victory to those close to even odds. So that's it's either Sonogo, player of the tournament, or it's live trying to get some plus money on UConn. All right. Best of luck, Dave and Stratford. I hope you find victory anyway tonight. Um, Toronto Blue Jays, Kansas City Royals, first pitch, 7.40 p.m. That's on Sportsnet, Sports at 590 Fan, and everywhere that you want to consume it. And NCAA National Championship game, UConn, San Diego State, 9.20 p.m. That's tonight. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Welcome back, Justin Cuthbert. We'll chat with you on Tuesday.